Hello, and welcome to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. Today, I'm here with Michelle Pastor, Executive Director and Founder of Learning Works. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cheryl. Well, Michelle, I always ask this question. I'd love for you to tell me all about your literacy journey. So in, um, I'm going to go way back to college. And um, well, first of all, I'm going to actually go back to elementary school and, and high school where when I would study for exams, I went down into my basement where I had a chalkboard and I taught my lessons. I taught all of my, all the, the material I needed to learn for my exams because that was the way I felt most comfortable studying. Um, and I went to college, I studied psychology and education minor, and I really wanted to focus on um, the neuroscience behind learning. And when I was in college, which was a very long time ago, um, <laughs> there was no neuroscience major. But I did find a program at Northwestern, um, a master's in communication science disorders, and where I specialized in learning disabilities. And I come at learning from a science, more scientific view rather than just an educational view, even oh. though I have both combined. Um, and then I came back and I worked as um, an educational therapist and I did evaluations and testing. Um, and then I went to the public school because I was doing some consulting to schools and I felt like I needed to be in a classroom in order to consult. And I wasn't making the same kind of progress with students that I saw privately as I was in, in classes. And I was pulled out for meetings and I was pulled out for this and pulled out, pulled away from the kids all the time. So I, about 20 years ago, I started Learning Works, which is an educational therapy and consulting practice where we work with kids from pre-K to adulthood on all different areas of strategy instruction. And it, we are teaching tools to make learning work for everyone. Um, the bulk of our kids do have some learning differences, but we also teach kids who just learn differently. And so that's where I am now. Wow, that sounds really amazing. That's the name, right? Learning, learning works. works. Yes. Awesome. Well, you know, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the new um, NAEP results that came out that basically says since the pandemic, um, the average reading scores have really declined like five points. Uh, which is the largest score drop since uh, I think 1990. Um, what do you think about that? So unfortunately, I don't think I'm surprised. And I think there's a lot of different pieces. Obviously the pandemic instruction was really hard on all different populations, particularly our most vulnerable populations. Sure. Um, the, the, the learning that, that didn't happen during those years, I think is going to, we're gonna see for a long time. Mm. Um, and I also think that education, and, and me included, is one of these, these areas where instead of adding new things to what we're doing, we throw out the old, just because it's old, not because it's not working anymore. And I often think about one size fits all class, one size fits all t-shirts, right? Oftentimes they fit a small few, but oftentimes they're too big, too small, don't really fit. It's the same thing with our classrooms all one size fits all classrooms work for a couple kids, but then we lose a lot of kids in different ways. Sure. So if we could teach in both whole word and phonics and different syllable types and listening comprehension and reading comprehension, then we're adding all of this robust curriculum where we're hitting as many kids as we can with information in a way that they're able to learn. 
And when I think about reading, I think about it in two different ways. I think about the decoding piece, which is really important. We have to be able to sound out words. Sure. But if we're not understanding what we read and we're not comprehending, then where's the joy in reading? We're not, you know, we're not falling in love with digraphs and diphthongs. We fall in love with stories and history and events and things that we're learning and the content. So if we don't understand what we're reading, we lose that group of kids that are an adults who say, I'm not good at that. I'm not going to do it. Sure. You know, and it's, it's so funny that you really think about it that way. That's really the way that obviously Scarborough's reading wrote kind of is broken apart into that upper strand and, you know, the, the lower strand as well. And so I, I like that you're thinking about it like that. You know, we have a new program um, called Phonics Reading in Me that really takes care of that kind of decoding piece and also really speaks a little bit to, um, to that comprehension piece, uh, just a little. I'd love for us to talk a little bit more about reading comprehension and, you know, I, how do you even teach reading comprehension? So we kind of know, like we, 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 I think we do a really great job of making sure that students practice, have meaningful practice in our phonics mm-hmm. reading and me program, but how does one actually teach reading comprehension? So reading comprehension is one of those more um, abstract things that you teach. It is, e- it, it is, I would say more concrete to teach letter sounds, letter names, letter combinations that come up with these words. Right. And then, you know, we, we, we use that as a building block for vocabulary, listening comprehension, language. So in early grades, what kids are reading in the program Phonics and Me, um, they're, 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 they're more basic books because we want them to be able to decode on their own and feel good about decoding. But there are still ways that we can incorporate reading comprehension into it. Um, and one of one thing that that happens in education is that reading comprehension is often teacher directed or adult directed we ask the questions kids answer and what even in the younger ages would be really great is we want to get children problem solving thinking about language thinking about characters thinking about themes thinking about scenes and by getting them to create their own questions, maybe in groups, maybe in partners, um, drawing a picture of what they think the scene would look like rather than look, relying on the pictures that are there. Um, listening comprehension is the basis, is the foundation for reading comprehension. So in younger grades, the more challenging literature we read to them sure. and we can still do a lot with reading comprehension starting with with listening comprehension. So so what exactly, what, what are some strategies to actually make sure that we are uh, encouraging the, that listening comprehension piece? What are some things that teachers might do to ensure that they're really having a, an impactful listening comprehension time period? So again, we, you know, every classroom has a read aloud time. What I would love to see is that during that read aloud time, we're engaging young students in the book. Um, and one thing that, that research has shown is that for those people who can innately visualize what they read, so they create a movie in their head. Mm-hmm. And some people do this innately and other people don't. And then I wind up seeing them <laughs> or the learning center sees them or other, other people or teachers need to help them figure out how to do this. 
So one of the things I would love to see is a teacher reading a story or a book and having kids drawing pictures of what they're seeing in their head. Hmm. Okay. Or, and then comparing and contrasting those pictures because not every picture, every picture is going to be different. Every kid is going to pay attention to different details and talking about what you were able to interpret from the words that you heard is a wonderful discussion. Um, another thing that's great is to talk about the, the development of a character throughout a story that you're reading to, to kids. Oh. So even though they're young, we can still talk about what makes this person unique? What adjectives would we use to describe this person? And we, you know, they may not know the word adjective, but we can say what kinds of describers, how would we describe this person? Sure. You know, would you want to be friends with this person? Yeah. Um, so by doing that kind of higher level thinking with stories, we're building the foundational blocks of how to, when you're in high school, analyze characters, plot development, um, use quotations to support what you're trying to say in, in, in understanding and analyzing a book. Sure. I, I love that idea because, you know, phonics reading in me also has an element of, of not just comprehension, but also there's, we're building knowledge clearly in our um, informational or, or nonfiction text, but also we're teaching those positive habits when we're looking at, um, you know, how, for example, characters get along and the decisions they make and those problem solving skills that they use uh, as well. You mentioned earlier a little bit about vocabulary. How are mm -hmm. vocabulary and reading comprehension connected? So they're, they're, they're very much connected. So when we look at, you know, the way language is developed, right? Kid, the first in, in infancy and toddler, this is like a perfect way of looking at it. Kids first say a word, then they say phrases, then they say sentences. Sure. Right? So we have to look at comprehension on the same kind of continuum. If you're reading something and you don't understand what the words are, right? We all have done this, whether we're reading electronically or reading somewhere else, we look, we look words up. Sure. Right. Our kids, unfortunately, are not using dictionaries as the book. Um, <laughs> but with with the digital footprint, there's a, it's wonderful now that we can figure out you can click on a word and it tells you what it means. It tells you how to use it. It tells you if it's a noun or verb. So vocabulary is really important. And learning to use the vocabulary in context. If you don't know what a word means and you're not gonna look it up, using the context of what you just read as far as the sentence and in the paragraph to help you figure out what that word means mm -hmm. continues to develop your vocabulary. And that's why we actually often say that reading is the number one predictor of how well kids do on their SATs. Sure, yep. Avid readers do better on the reading comprehension part of the SAT period. That's not something we can, we can teach as a junior in high school, right? Yeah. But it's because their vocabulary is expanded, their sentence structure, what they learn and how they enjoy books grows the more you do it, right? Practice makes perfect just with, with reading comprehension, just like everything else. Sure. Sure. I love, I love that, that thinking. Now, when you think about, um, you know, teaching, for example, kindergartners, to read versus let's say third graders, like what's the difference in teaching 
a younger, like lower elementary student mm-hmm. versus a more upper elementary student? What's the difference in, in how we teach reading comprehension? So we hear all the time this, this, this kind of quotation. Kindergarten, first and second grade is all about learning to read and third grade on up is reading to learn. And I don't buy it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I don't buy it. Because I think we spend our life learning to read. There are still texts that I find challenging and I need to use a different strategy to use, to, sure. to read and to figure out and to understand. So yes, kindergarten, first, second grade, there is a focus on decoding because that is the first step to reading. And I also believe that there should be a focus on comprehension. We should be having the dialogues we talked about earlier, drawing the pictures, using Gardner's other multiple intelligence to figure out what this book means. Because the more meaningful we can make text to any kid and any adult for that matter, the more they're going to engage in literacy. Mm. And so I think, you know, we do have this decoding piece, but we need to add visualizing, active reading strategies, talking about characters, higher order thinking about what's actually happening in the book, which are not always teacher centered. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Now, you know, so obviously, again, thinking about those NAEP scores, that means that some of our students are really struggling when it comes to, to reading comprehension. What can teachers do to help those students improve reading comprehension? What are some very like some strategies they can put in place tomorrow? So the first one would be um, reading a scene, reading a descriptive scene to students and have them draw it. Explain to kids or explain to your students how we wanna create a movie in our head. So as we read, we want to, to think about what is that? What does that character look like? Who's around that character? Where is that character placed? What, if you were a director, and I said this, you know, before Harry Potter became <laughs> movies, I used to say all the time to my students, "What do you think he looks like?" Mm. Right? We we have a description. We know there's a lightning bolt on his forehead, but what else do we know about him? We know about his glasses. What else do we know about him? And create, become the director. You know, you're going to transform this book into a movie or into a TV show. How do you create it? And what does it look like? Sure. Um, and that immediately brings meaning to text and is important for kids to understand. The other thing that I would do is teach students like we do the WH questions, right? Who, what, where, when, how, why? And have the students come up with questions in partners read a story. Okay. You guys create the Jeopardy board or the questions Wow, yeah. so that they're coming from students and they're looking at, we don't want just yes or no questions. We want to evoke discussion and more information. So how do we do that? And by kids creating questions, it's really helpful, helping them to understand what they're reading. Sure, sure. I, you know, um, I really appreciate that. I actually used this strategy as a first year teacher when my students didn't enjoy reading and they were high school students. Um, Instead of uh, having them draw, you know what we did? We did a talk show 
So they right. have to, so I interviewed those characters and asked like what their motivation was for a particular action. And they really, really got into it. So, so I, I love that. One of my students had this assignment, which I thought was brilliant. Um, it was a high school student and they were reading Macbeth and they had to choose a character from Macbeth and make a Facebook page for them. Oh, wow. So they had to choose who were their friends going to be? What kinds of things were they going to post? What pictures are they going to post? What would their Facebook page look like? Which I thought was really innovative and creative. Yet it gets at the crux of higher level thinking to think about, okay, who is Lady Macbeth going to be friends with? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I, I think those kinds of creative projects and other ways of looking at literature and there's so much good literature out there for young children and for, you know, older. Um, and then I think about, you know, when we get to third, fourth grade and, and older, the, the, we still read fiction, but there's also a huge push to do more expository reading. And I think it's really important to teach students that there's a different purpose. Read it, you know, when we're reading, we're reading mm-hmm. for a different purpose. If we're reading yeah. an email, we may not give it the same attention that we give a novel that we're going to have to discuss in class sure, or a history textbook that we're going to have an ex- a test on. And so understanding the purpose of why you're reading in order to understand what strategy is going to be my best strategy right now. Yeah. So again, visualizing is a great technique for not for fiction, but for nonfiction, we have lots of other ways like turning a subtitle into a question so if we have a history textbook and it says causes of the civil war right we have the way i teach students is i have them do a two column notes on the left hand side we write we turn causes of a civil war into a question what are the causes of the civil war and then in a different color on the right hand side as we read we write down what those causes are And then any vocabulary words we pull out, we also add. So you could even make it a third column of the vocabulary words. Um, I also, you know, like to do this when I'm reading a novel with older students. I have them, I do a lot of color coding. I like color, Um, (laughs) but I have them use different highlighters for different characters. So for example, in um, Catcher in the Rye, you know, Holden is one color, right? Holden's professors or teachers may be other colors. His friends may be a different color. His sister is another color. And we track throughout. And for those people who have a Kindle, what's phenomenal about this is that you can do it in different colors, right? You you highlight in different colors. And then at the very end of the book, you can click that color and all your quotations will come up. Wow. In a list which just is a really good tool for high schools, high schoolers who are writing papers. <laughs> sure, <laughs> of course. But it's also a reading comprehension tool in that it helps you track how that character's changing. Of course. Now, how might you use something like that with younger learners? How, how could we translate that strategy to uh, a first grader, for example? So I think that for a first grader, there are themes within whatever we're reading. Sure right? And there are identifying and teaching kids, even in first and second grade, about what a theme of a book is. You know, what is the moral? What is the author trying to to get across to us? Why did this writer write this book? 
And I do think making authors and writers people <laughs> is important. This is not just a book. This is someone's yeah. ideas, right? And you could you could do this. You could have these ideas too. Um, so by by looking at themes. So sometimes I could see having like a big whiteboard or a big post-it, you know, the big post-its on the wall mm -hmm. and writing in different colors, the themes and saying, okay, as we're reading, you know, you take a post-it note on your desk, write down something that the character does that relates to that theme or tell me and I'll write it down in kindergarten, right? Because kindergarten, sure. they can't always do the writing and let's stick them up and see which themes they apply to. Or let's put the characters in our story up on the on the board. And let's all think of a word that we think that describes this character and we'll stick them up. Even doing like a, a oh, I forget what it's called, a wordle, a, a word um, where the biggest word is the word that um, comes up the most often. Sure. Computer programs can do these little word. The word clouds? Thank you. Word clouds. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you can do word clouds around each of these characters. I love that. Yeah. And you could, you and could also teaching simple plot, mm. right? Simple yeah. plot. We have a beginning of a story. We have a conflict. We have a resolution or a solution to that conflict and then an ending. Yeah. And just teaching the very basic framework of what makes a story. Sure. And then identifying the parts of those books as you read. Again, you know, because our, our, our classrooms are so diverse as far as learners go and where they are on the literacy spectrum, we can also differentiate. So some kids might be ready to be highlighting in their, in their version of their book. Some kids may be ready to write their own descriptions. Some kids may want to say it to us. Some kids could record what they want to say. There's lots of different ways to get at feedback and to provide different ways of showing what you know. Sure, sure. I love that. Now tell me, um, you know, as we close, there are teachers out there right now, Michelle, <laughs> that are scratching their heads, that are feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all that they have to do. And maybe their students are not performing as well when it comes to reading comprehension. What would you tell them right now if you were able to speak to them? I would say drop the main idea and detail thing <laughs> because it's really hard for students to identify, well, how do I differentiate main idea detail? And I would say instead, focus on language, focus on talking about language, getting discussions going. I would also say focus on the pictures, focus on creating pictures in your kids' minds. So maybe what you do is you break your kids into groups and have the first part act out the first part of your, you know, create a play of your first part of the book, the second part of the book, the third part, give everyone a role. Even those kids that don't want to talk, maybe they create the scenery, maybe they draw, you know, there's ways to get kids involved in reading. And the most important thing I would say about reading comprehension is show a love of reading right? Ex talk about your own adventures in reading and that you love to read because you love to escape into another world, that it takes you somewhere else. You, you're learning about someone else and how wonderful that is. And, and 
then create that atmosphere in your classroom. That's awesome. And is, is there a way to tie that into families, you think? Absolutely. You know, I, um, I have often said that we should do young children, like the parent groups, doing mom and daughter book groups, doing dad, you know, we have all different kinds of families. So you can even do parent kid um, book groups. But I think book groups, as adults, we often engage in book groups. And the reason we love them is because we're talking about literature and we're talking about the way, the messages that the authors are trying to convey. And we're talking about characters and we're talking about themes. You can do that on a, on a different level with different books with kids as young as kindergarten. Yeah. Because you could then as a group, well, we've all read this book. Who is your favorite character? Right. And even if, if we were to send home in the, the, the newsletter, right, create your own book group, do it as a family, have a family read a, a book together. And at the dinner mm-hmm. table, talk about what was your favorite part of the book? Who right. was your favorite character? Who right. didn't you like? Who would you want to be friends with? Who would you not want to be friends with? Would you want those people to be your parents? And then again, all we're doing is engaging more with literature. I love that. Well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for these very practical strategies that teachers can use right away. We appreciate you being on It was great to be here, Cheryl. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.